Welcome to the City View Church podcast. We hope you enjoy today's message. Each and every morning, every single one of us in this room is faced with a big decision, and the decision is this, to snooze or not to snooze. To snooze or not to snooze. Snoozers, raise your hand. It's okay, we still love you. Jesus loves snoozers. Not to snooze, raise your hand. How many of you are kind of in the middle? Or you didn't hit stop or snooze because you're still asleep. My question is this, why is the snooze button so big? Pre-phone, my cool clock radio that sat on my end table next to my bed as a teenager, the snooze button was this big. But the off button was like second button from the back on the right side and you had to get it just right to turn it off. But it was so easy to just hit the snooze. Today, the snooze button on your phone is much larger than the stop button. Why? There's my... Some conspiracy theory there. I'm working on it. Not really. Uh, There are studies, actually, about the implications, you know, emotional, mental, physical implications of hitting that snooze button. We're not going to talk about any of those today. But we are going to talk about the spiritual implications of hitting the spiritual, metaphorical snooze button on your life. Kind of sets the stage for today. With that, let's pray. Jesus, thank you for being a, a good God, uh, a God that, that loves, uh, a God that, uh, God that you, your desire is to save and to gather um, your people. And I thank you so much that you call us your God, you, or rather we get to call you God and you get to call us your people. You say that time and time again in the Old Testament and the New Testament, and it's so amazing, Lord, to be known by you. So God, I pray that you would reveal yourself to your people um, all throughout the valley and churches uh, around here down the street at Pure Heart, got over at, at CCV, got at Catalyst Church. Would you reveal yourself to them, reveal yourself to us here at City View so that we may know how to walk this life, Lord, in Jesus' name. We all said Amen. Amen. Well, welcome. So glad you are here today. It is good to be alive. It is good to be awake. And it is good to study and walk through God's Word together as a community. So that's what we're going to do. My name is Mark. I get to be part of the teaching team here at City View. And uh, we're continuing our journey, if you didn't already know, through the book of Revelation. We are in the middle of a series that is going to take us all throughout Revelation. And this segment of Revelation is titled thriving church. Why? Because we want to be a thriving church. I love case studies. Case studies that don't deal with theory. Case studies deal with reality, real examples, real good and bad and kind of in the middle examples of real life. God has blessed us in the book of Revelation with seven case studies of churches. We've done four of them already. So if you're here for the first time, You're here at a great time because you're going to get to hear some more case studies to help us see what does it look like um, to be a thriving church and a not-so-thriving church. Today, we have both extremes, a really, really good one to follow, a really, really not-so-good one to not follow. And aren't those sometimes the best examples to help us know what not to do? So we've done four already. We've got two that we're going to do today. And then next Sunday, don't miss out as we finish up with the Church of Laodicea Um, next Sunday as we continue. So if you have your book of Revelation like this, go ahead and get it out. It's for taking notes. If you got your Bible, get your Bible out. Get ready to underline. Get ready to highlight. Get ready to jot some notes down. If you're using a digital Bible, that's fine too. We got a QR code right there in front of you. You can scan that with your phone. 
It's going to bring up um, a Bible app for you to follow along. Um, so let's get ready. Go ahead and turn to Revelation chapter 3. And if you're in the, 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 the little black Revelation book, it's actually page 14. We're in Revelation chapter 3, verse 1. Here's what we've been doing with these case studies. It's, as a way to help us study them, as a way to help us you know, break them down into outlines and notes, help us compare, and of course, most importantly, not just for us to know something about them, because if we just know it and don't do anything with it, what, what are we doing? We got to know it so we can apply it. So to help us know it and apply it, uh, Pastor Jeremiah has kind of put together this outline um, that, that, that helps us make sense uh, of each of these churches. And, and here's, here's what we're looking at. We've got the recipient, the speakers, the commendation or condition, complaint, counsel, warning, and promise. So if you've been here the last few weeks, you've started to get used to these words, and we're attaching most of these words to most of the churches, but they don't all apply. We're going to see that in just a moment. But be ready to jot down notes using these words um, so that you can make sense and interpret and apply what is going on in these two churches as our case studies for today. We are um, in Phoenix, but we are soon traveling, metaphorically speaking, to the present day country of Turkey. And in Turkey, we find these churches that we have been studying, that we've been looking at. And as Pastor Jeremiah has put it, it is a, it's kind of a, a travel loop, a mail route loop of churches and outposts. These are important places as they are outposts of culture and communication and so forth. Today, we are in Sardis and Philadelphia. So if you want to take a picture of that, just to give you a frame of reference, go for it. Sardis and Philadelphia is where we're at. And keep, keep this in mind. Today, two churches, man, we're flying. We're literally flying over these. It's an overview. It's going to be quick. We're going to miss a lot of things. I'm going to not say a whole lot of things. You're going to say, man, I wanted to know more about that verse. Here's what, here's what I want you to do is I want you to, A, get in a belong group. The belong group this week is going to go through more of these verses in more detail with more context, more background, and, and all of that. Uh, also, you can open up your Bible and continue reading them, digging in, finding commentary, getting more explanation about this. You don't have to just eat on Sundays. It's a good idea to eat during the week. Amen? Amen. Although we're looking at two churches, one at a time, I've got one big statement that I want us to grab a hold of. And this big statement is this. It is obedience matters... Because God has expectations. Let me say that again. Obedience matters because God has expectations. With that big idea in mind, let's jump in. Revelation 3.1. Here we go. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know your works, and you have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. There it is. This is the bad example. If you didn't already catch on to that. These are the bad guys. This is the one not to follow. This is the older brother, uh, older brother, older sister not to follow their path. Don't, you know, don't repeat their mistakes. And we're going to figure out what does that look like and, and, and how can we learn not to be like them. So first of all, recipient, Sardis. That's a pretty easy one. Um, as a speaker is Jesus. As we've been looking at each of these letters, they are, um, they're, they're, they're given to them by Jesus. And Jesus is speaking to each of these churches as they have different struggles. We have to keep in mind, these, these churches 
they were real in like in a real point in time, a real point in history with real people, with real things going on. So just keep that in mind. These are there were people that actually existed in these churches that struggled with some of the things that they struggled with, but also were victorious in some of the things that they were victorious. I just think that it helps me to keep real people in mind as I, as I read this. So we have we have the recipient, we have the speaker. Now, what's the condition? Dead. The, 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 the condition is dead. Well, maybe, maybe life support at, at best. Um, it, there's, there's an interesting word, reputation. Reputations. Reputations are interesting because reputations sometimes are built over a number of decades and reputations sometimes are destroyed in, in a matter of three seconds. Reputations are fascinating because sometimes they're so true and then sometimes they're so deceiving. So a reputation is so powerful that I, I'm going to read these things and you're going to have a reputation perhaps that's going to pop into your mind. For example, Arizona sports teams. They have a reputation. Sedona has a reputation. Mexican food, reputation. Harvard, reputation. Big churches, Reputation. Little churches. Reputation. You get the idea. Everything, everything has a reputation. And, and, and like I said, sometimes those reputations are so true and sometimes they are so deceiving. In this case, it was deceiving. What's an example of a deceiving reputation? I think of one. And I'm, I'm sorry if it's your drink of choice, but it's time to wake up. Diet Coke. And we thought for years, oh, Diet Coke is the healthy choice. It's, it's diet. And then later on, after multiple studies have been done, we find out that maybe it's worse than Coke itself. Oh, no. And then there's other things that we have deemed as healthy. Granola bars, healthy choice, right? Yogurt, muffins, you know, the brick muffin that just you eat it and it just stays there for the rest of the week and it, it doesn't go away. How about fruit snacks? Parents of younger children, amen, right? Fruit snack. It's in the name. It's fruity. Just read the fine print, right? Gatorade. It's healthy. Pretzels. I like pretzels. And when we take a closer look at these things, they have a reputation for being healthy, and we find out they're not really that healthy. Now, you know, it's better maybe grabbing for a donut. But it's fascinating how reputations work. And this church had a reputation for being alive. But it turns out after a closer look, they were rotting at the core. I love this, this story when Samuel goes to find a new king. King Saul has failed, and he's going to find a new king. He goes to Jesse's home, and Jesse just starts turning out his sons left and right. And Samuel's like, yeah, it must be this one. And I'm thinking, you got to think, what, did you not learn anything from Saul? You know, Saul the tall guy, he's going to make a great king. Didn't turn out so good. But Samuel's still looking on the outside, and and then God says this profound statement. He says, man looks at the outside, but God looks at the inside. Man looks at the outside. God looks at the heart. And at the heart of this church, it was dead. Yeah, maybe their outside curb appeal was bing. Their website, whoo, couldn't, couldn't beat it. Their social feed was unbelievable. On the outside, they were looking fine. But on the inside, they were not doing so good. So what does God say? What does Jesus say to this church? Verse 2, wake up! 
strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Just, just wake up. I, I noticed something in this passage, this case study of the church. There's no mention of the Antichrist. I mean, he hasn't really hit the scene yet in, in Revelation yet anyway. There's no, there's no mention of like, oh, Rome. Yeah, those, those Romans are, are, are just a thorn in your side. And those, if, we, if we just didn't have the Romans, we would be, would be better off. No, there's, there's no mention of, of Roman oppressors. There's no mention of, 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 as other churches, maybe the Jezebel spirit or this demonic power or this, this evil thing that was luring it, it around them and tempting. There's no temptation to get out. There's no, there's no idol worship that they just need to, if they remove that idol worship from the church things... So what's going on? Here's the conclusion. The conclusion is that there was nothing from the outside, nothing external was necessary to bring this church to a place of ineffectiveness. Nothing except itself. It was just Sardis. It was just themselves that had been lured to sleep. It was themselves that had gotten comfortable. It was themselves that they sat so long that they just turned over and Conked out. That's it. Nothing from the outside. And I just think, wow. I think we have something to learn there. We're gonna, we'll get to that in our, our application in a minute. But there was nothing necessary to be removed. They were the problem. So the council, that's where we're at in our outline. What do they need to do? Wake up. Stop hitting snooze. Get up. More specifically, verse 3. Remember then what you received and heard. Ah, remember, remember, remember what you got. Remember the gospel. Remember, remember what you learned. Remember what you heard for the first time. It says, remember then what you received and heard. Keep it. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Ooh. This is not how Jesus wants to come. Jesus doesn't want to come like a thief. Jesus wants to come uh, as, 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 a, as, a, as a welcome, victorious king, savior. But if we're not ready, this here's the warning to Sardis, and it's the same warning for us. The warning is Jesus will come like a thief. And this is exactly how Jesus will appear to those who are not ready. A thief is unwanted. A thief is unprepared for. You're, a thief is unwelcome. If you don't wake up, this is how Jesus will come. If you don't wake up, Jesus will wake you up. Starting uh, in August, I, I started teaching in the classroom full-time at a Christian school down the street. So I get to teach Bible to eighth graders. And so far, I've only had one repeat sleeper in my room. And so I'm kind of, you know, toying with some different ideas uh, as to what to do for this sleeper, how I can come against him. I, uh, so far, it's only been gentle nudges, but I, I, I've thought about the classic, you know, drop really heavy books. I've got some good heavy commentaries. And, you know, drop them next to, to his desk to, to startle him and wake him up. Uh, although I think a, a more fun idea could be to, to quietly gather all the students and take them outside in the hallway and, and leave unknowing, sleeping, slumbering student in, in the room by himself and then gently close the door. And then bang on the door really loud, and then he wakes up, and there's nobody there. Uh, 
I'm still chewing on it, thinking what consequences might come my way too. But uh, <laughs> Jesus will come against those who aren't ready. Jesus will, he will come like a thief to those who are dead, to those who are sleeping, to those who are not being obedient. Because isn't that what is necessary to prepare us for Jesus, Savior, victorious servant, King, that we are ready for him? It is all about obedience. Obedience matters because God has expectations. Let's continue on, verse 4 to 6. Yet, oh, yet you still have a few names in Sardis. Thank the Lord. People who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. You know, it's easy for us to, to focus on the bad. It's easy for us to focus on the negative. But here, this hopeful verse, this hopeful word, yet, there is a remnant, such an awesome word, this group that is holding on, this group that won't compromise, this group that is willing to wear the wrong jersey to the wrong game. You know what I'm saying? It's like, I don't care what they say. This is who I'm repping. This is where I'm at, and I'm not going to budge. It's this this group of, of warriors who are willing to put up with the grief, willing to put up with the oppressors, willing to put up with the, with the haters, willing to put up with the naysayers. And here is the promise for those victorious ones. Threefold. One, they will walk with Jesus. Jesus said, you will walk with me. Because you haven't compromised, because you're still in the fight, because you have not been lulled to sleep, like most of the people in your church. You're going to walk with me. Two, you're going to be clothed in white. And three, your name will be confessed. Those are some awesome promises. To go to walk with God, be clothed in white, signifying purity, not that, oh, you're so holy, but because you are so with holy Jesus and he has made you holy. He has forgiven you. And because of that, you can be clothed in white and your name will be confessed. Jot this, jot this, uh, this, this verse down. Luke 10, 20. Luke 10, 20. This is, this is awesome. So Jesus sends out his disciples in Luke. He says, now you do it. Now you go. And they're thinking, yes, we're getting in the game. This is going to be awesome. We've been watching Jesus do stuff. Now we get to do stuff. And boom, they go out. And they, they, they perform miracles. They do ministry. They cast out demons in the name of Jesus. And it worked. They did it. And they're coming back, Jesus, you wouldn't believe. Man, you should have seen John when this happened. And then, and then he did this. And then he said this. And then that. And Jesus is like, whoa, time out. Teachable moment. Just when it got good, right? And Jesus has to have another teachable moment. This is so teachable. This cuts to me so often. He says this, Luke 10, 20. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this. In what? That the spirits are subject to you. He said, don't rejoice in, in just in this ministry, what you got to do, this power, this, this fruit. It's awesome, right? But he says, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Oh, oh yeah, that's pretty cool too. 
But Jesus, you should have seen John. It's so easy for me to rejoice in the fruit, rejoice in the things I got to check off my ministry to-do list, the, to rejoice in things that happen that I got to be, But I love how Jesus, like, yeah, that's good. Jesus said, go be fruitful. Yes, Jesus said to go do ministry. Yes, Jesus said, yes. But how often do I just pause and say, I'm in heaven. I'm heaven bound. I'm a citizen of heaven. That big book up there has my name written in it because of what Jesus did on the cross for me and my sin. Let's throw a party. Let's throw a, a heaven citizenship party. Let's throw a Lamb's book of life. My name's in it party. No, I've never heard of one of those. That's, that's, that's such a good reminder for me. And if that's a, if that's a reminder for you, there you go. So this city of Sardis, it was known for luxury. It was known for apathy. And the church there had a reputation for being alive, but it was dead. Yet there was a faith. Now, what about you? Have you ever felt like you were the only one? What do I mean by that? I mean, you feel like you're the only one at work who's trying to walk the walk. You're the only one in your family you feel like that, that believes in Jesus. You're the only one at school that is just trying to stay in the battle of, and, and being a Christian, which is, you feel like this is even a laughable idea at my school. If you feel like, and in, in, your, in your mind, you might be like, well, there's that one kid in math class. I think maybe she goes to church. Or, well, I've got a second cousin, I think, that likes Jesus. Your, your mind maybe gets it, that you're not, but if your heart feels like you're the only one, I want to I challenge you. I want to encourage you. And I want to see if you're willing to actually stand up right now. Not saying I'm the only one, like in a prideful way, but I'm the only one, I, I'm feeling it, and I'm feeling way down, and I'm feeling discouraged, and it's hard. Is there anybody in the room that feels that way? in your life, in some area of your life? Oh, okay. And maybe you do, but you don't want to stand up. So, if you were standing, let me tell you what I would tell you. It would be this, that you get to walk with God. You get to walk with him. And when you walk with him, you are encouraged by, by his presence. Because I know most of us maybe go to work every day and it's not like, you know, being at church. There's not, a lot of, there's not a lot of parties going on because everyone's name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life, if you know what I mean. So when you, when, when you were that remnant, when you refuse to let go of what you know, when you refuse to sleep on what you know and who you are in Christ, I want you to know that you are walking with Jesus because that's a promise to Sardis, and I believe that's a promise to you, and you can be encouraged by his presence. Two, I want you to know you are clothed by him. That means you are holy and forgiven and righteous because of his grace and his mercy, and that is awesome. And even though people might not see your white clothes, you can look in the mirror and say, man, I'm not feeling it today, but I'm forgiven, and I'm holy, and I am clothed in white because of what Jesus did for me on the cross. And then third, your name will be confessed. 
Your name will be confessed. Your name will be called out by Jesus. Your name will be called out and you'll be represented by Jesus to God the Father as a son or a daughter of the King that he died for on the cross. And I think we need to be encouraged and reminded of those promises that apply to this remnant can also apply to us. Because today, ladies and gentlemen, as a Christian, you are a remnant in this country. Let me say that again. Today, in this country, in 2024, you are a remnant in this country. Those days are gone. And it's time to start thinking like a remnant, being a remnant, learning from the, 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 the passages in the Old Testament of, of exile, of Daniel and, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, people who were exiles in a foreign land with a foreign faith, they were a remnant. What did they do? How did they think? How did they live? How did they worship? We got to start learning from them because we are a remnant today in the United States of America. Obedience matters because God has expectations. Let's continue. Philadelphia, and to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, right? The words of the Holy One, the true one who has the king, the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I want you to underline, I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and not denied my name. We're going to get back to that in a moment. But underline that. It's so powerful, that, that part of verse 8. Who's the recipient? Philadelphia. Not like Philly cheesesteak Philadelphia. Not Philadelphia Eagles. But this is the original city of brotherly love, known as Little Athens. A couple of things they were known for. Beautiful buildings and earthquakes. Those are very ironic combinations. And an outpost for promoting and spreading of Greek culture. This is Philadelphia. Um, at a glance, and the speaker, of course, is Jesus once again. And this open door idea, it, it could mean several things, but most Bible scholars agree on this landing of the open door being an open door to salvation or an open door to heaven. And you can begin to see the immediate difference of this letter to Philadelphia versus this letter to Sardis. God, Jesus is already saying, man, there's an open door for you. Open door to heaven. Open door to salvation. It's already great. It's already positive, And it continues that way. In fact, there is no condition in this letter. Um, there is a commendation. And here is the commendation that they kept God's word and haven't denied God's name. In short, they were faithful. So they were commended. They didn't have a condition, which usually ends up being negative. They, had, they were commended for who they were, what they were doing. They were faithful. Complaints? None. Woo, great report card for this church. How amazing to be scoured and to be looked at and to be studied by Jesus and him to come out and say, you know what, I don't have any complaints. And I love this. If you're feeling like you have little strength today, if you're feeling like you have little power, you're in good hands and there's hope for you because that is exactly what Jesus said to the church in Philadelphia. You have little power. Even with little power, we can do the things God is asking us to do. Even with little power, we can obey and we can meet his expectations. He continues on, verse 9 and 10. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. 
Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you, because you have kept my word about patient endurance. I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. Put an underline synagogue of Satan and underline hour of trial and underline dwell on the earth. Those are just three things that, that kind of jump out that I just want to touch on really, really briefly in this overview. So the idea of a synagogue of Satan, a synagogue is a gathering, a worship place for Jews um, outside of the temple, throughout where all the Jews lived outside of Jerusalem. They were, they were the miniature temple experience for them to go to a synagogue, worship, hear God's word, and, and do that. So this, was, this idea is it was a gathering of Jewish people. Why were they a synagogue of Satan? Well, it says right there, it's, they were lying. They weren't telling the truth. And Satan's native tongue his native language is lies and so anytime you hear lying you can you can take it back to its source its origin and that's satan and so this this is in fact satan saying it is a gathering of jews who were lying hence the the, the extreme language this kind of symbolic language of a synagogue of satan and it's ironic because before uh, in the old testament god would tell his people the jews hey i'm going to vindicate you from your Gentile, non-Jewish oppressors. And here in Revelation, he's telling the Christians, hey, I'm going to vindicate you from, from this Jewish group that is spewing lies on you, being an oppressor to you, giving you a hard time. Is this all the Jews? No, of course not. It was just this one group of Jews that were trying to get at this group of Christians in Philadelphia. And God was saying, I got you. I'm going to take care of that for you. I'm going to vindicate um, this, this, this group for you and this, this problem, and you don't have to worry about it. What an amazing promise um, to be able to get from the king of the universe that he's going to take care of the people in your life that are just getting on you and poking you and oppressing you and, and, and throwing lies at you uh, and trying to trip you up. That's, this is the, the message to this church in Philadelphia. And then the hour of trial. The hour of trial, most Bible scholars believe to be the great tribulation that's discussed later on in the book of Revelation, um, that, that God's going to keep them from that. And then those who dwell on the earth is a phrase you're going to find um, throughout the, uh, the book of Revelation, at least in this, this is the ESV wording. And that represents people who are not Christians, not believers, those who dwell on the earth. In other words, those who have made earth their home. So it's just, I just want to quickly unpack some of those as they pop up. Now let's continue, verse 11 to 13. I'm coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Underline pillar. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from God out of heaven, and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So now we have the counsel. The counsel portion to the Church of Philadelphia is this. Hold fast what you have. Hold fast what you have. And, and this, this, this concept just keeps coming up over and over again. Because remember, these are the churches they, they, they have what they need. They have the gospel. They have the, the teaching. They have, they have 
They have this, 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 this concept of, of grace and, and mercy and all that Jesus has done for them, this message, this don't lose hope. And, and, and so Jesus is just reminding them, hold on to that. Don't lose it. Don't let it slip. Just keep moving forward. And warning for this church? None. No warning. No necessary you know, room for improvement, per se, or dire uh, warning of, of, you know, like the dashboard of my car this morning. They don't went away, so that's good. Promises. Four of them. These are awesome. Check these out. Promise number one, vindicated. He says, you will be vindicated. Got you. Don't worry about that. Two, kept from the hour of trial. I'm going to keep you from this, this trial that's coming because of your faithfulness, because of your obedience. I'm going to vindicate you. I'm going to keep you from the hour of trial. And then you are going to become a pillar in the temple. Love this. The temple is this, this picture of God's presence, this picture of God's glory. And a pillar is strong, but it's really strong because of what the pillar's on. What's the pillar on? The pillar's on foundation. If we're a pillar, what should be our foundation? Of course, it should be Jesus. And then check this out. Oftentimes, you, you think of ruins. My idea of ruins, when I, when I, when I think of Turkey, my, my best friend from college is actually there um, as a missionary, he's been there for years and has learned Turkish and is in this daily battle of, of talking with people um, who, who are mostly Muslim and helping point them to Jesus. And, and so when he goes to places, he'll send me pictures. And I'm like, yeah, thank you for walking the pages of the New Testament without me. And, and he'll send me pictures of these ruins. And what it typically looks like is two things. Foundation and Pillars. Foundation and pillars. And here's what's really cool is in this specific area of Turkey that would experience frequent earthquakes, most often what remained was the foundation and some pillars. And this idea that even when the earthquakes, even when things get hard, even at the end of days, even no matter what, if you're a pillar on the right foundation, then you will remain strong. And I just think that's such an awesome reminder for us is if we are a pillar in God's temple and we are built on Jesus as the foundation, that nothing can shake us down. And for promise number four, that they will bear the name of God, that they would bear the name of God. God would put his name on them. We'll talk more about how important that is in just a moment. I, I, I think we could all say that we like this letter a lot better. Like, we like Philadelphia. We want to hang out in Philadelphia, not so much in Sardis. You know, they've got, they've got more better promises. They don't have any warnings, no complaints. You don't have to be this, you don't have to be this hardcore remnant that's just fighting to, to, to keep the faith. There's less, you know, dead people in Philadelphia than there is in Sardis. So, but they have some things in common. What did they have these two extreme examples, these two extreme case studies, what do they have in common? Both churches had little strength or little power. Both of them, Jesus said, you, Sardis, you have little strength. You're, you're, you're practically dead, but there's just a, there's a little bit there. Philadelphia, you have little power. But they both had little amount. So if you feel like you have little power, you could go one way or the other. It's more what do you do with the little bit of power that you have? They both had little power. They both had little strength. They both had what they needed. They both had Jesus. They both had the gospel. They both had what the basics were. So what set Philadelphia apart from Sardis? 
long-suffering, patient, persevering obedience. That's pretty much it. One decided to obey, one decided to go to sleep. One decided to be active, one decided to be passive. One decided to, to do something with what they had, the other one decided to slowly dig a hole and bury it and cover it and move on with life, if that's really living. Spurgeon said, faith and obedience are bound up in the same bundle. He that obeys God, trusts God. He that trusts God, obeys God. It's a bundle. It's a package. Trust and obey. Obedience matters because God has expectations. So what do we do? Our application is simply to wake up and keep doing the right thing because it's worth it. Wake up and, and keep doing the right thing because it's worth it. Galatians 6, 9 says this. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will, harp a, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Let me read that one more time. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. That's hard. Because sometimes doing the right thing, it, it weighs on us. It, it, it burdens us. It, it makes us tired, especially when we're doing the right thing on our own strength. So if you're tired of doing the right thing, ask yourself, what power am I doing the right thing in? What strength am I doing the right thing in? Am I trying to just dig down deep in, in all of my goodness and, and just do the right thing? Yeah, right, that'll, that'll last five minutes. We've got to do good in his strength. And at just the right time, it says, at just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. So wake up and keep doing the right thing because it's worth it. It's still too vague for me, so I want to get a little more specific. Uh, here's three ways I think we can live this out. First thing is pray. Pray. Pray and ask God for strength and opportunities to obey. Pray that you would do things in his strength, not uh, in his strength, not yours. Pray for spiritual strength. If, we're, if we need spiritual means to wake up, then we got to use the, 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 the spiritual vehicles, which is prayer. It's so important. And, but I think we need to, our prayer needs work. Let me just say it. Our prayer needs work. Last week I was talking with, with, with my eighth grade students about prayer. And we were talking about wisdom. Because we were going through Proverbs. And, and I said, what is, the, what is the best way to add wisdom? It's through prayer. Asking God for it. That's what King Solomon did. Ask for prayer. But I said, I think sometimes our prayer life is kind of lame. It's very vanilla. It's like, I'm sorry. I, I don't like birthday cake. Birthday cake is usually, there's a few out there. But most birthday cakes, I'm like, yeah, it just is kind of, eh, it's just kind of there. It doesn't have a whole lot of flavor. I think a lot of times we look at prayer like a lame birthday cake that is so not worth the calories. So I challenged them. I said, what if our prayers got more specific? I believe if our prayers were more specific, they'd be more real, they'd be more powerful, and, and they'd be more personal. So I challenged them. I said, instead of just, you know, praying for Gabe to have a great day and, 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 and praying before the game, I just pray no one gets hurt. And God, I pray for everyone that's sick. That's, that's a starting point. But I challenged them. I said, let's graduate from those prayers. Let's get more specific. Let's get some other flavors in our cake. Let's make it more interesting. Let's make it more engaging. And I think we do that by being more specific in how we pray. So I challenge you, whatever that looks like, get more specific in your prayers this week. Because I think 
I think then prayer becomes a little more a little more like, man, I, I don't pray today. I, I need to do that. I mean, when, I, when I prayed for that person and I prayed specifically, like that, that did something. That encouraged me. That encouraged them. I want to do that again. I don't know. It just, I think we're more likely to pray more. I think we're more likely to pray, show up for a prayer service. I think we're, we're more, more likely to look at prayer like, oh, sweet, instead of like, oh, we're going to pray now? Yeah, it's about to get boring in life. I think if we pray more specifically, it changes that. So that's my challenge for us. Get more specific in your prayers this week, and I think it will help us wake up to what God is asking us to do. Secondly, get back to the basics. Get back to the basics. The ultimate basic to get back to isn't really the basic. It is it is the it, it's the gospel. That Jesus died on the cross for your sins, that the only way you can be good is through him. The only way you can do anything good is through him. The only way you can be holy and forgiven is through him. The only way you can apply any of this is not by digging down deep in yourself, but by digging down deep into God's love for you. We've got to get back to that. And then we've got to get to, back to the basics of doing the right thing. But basics are kind of like, yeah, the basics, you know, we don't really like the basics. I think of the, the movie Hoosiers, and, and, and the basketball coach in this movie is teaching his, his, his team to get back to the basics. So first practice, you know, all the guys go and grab the ball and say, don't touch that ball right there. We don't practice with basketballs today. We ain't practicing those for weeks. And all he did is he taught them the movement because the basics, the most important principles of the game have nothing to do with the ball or who has the ball. It's movement and it's working together as a team. And they hated it, but then it clicked. They're like, oh. Get back to the basics, reading the Bible. Get back to your Bible reading plan. Maybe you started last month because it was January and we do those things in January, but now that it's February, are we still doing it? Get back to the basics of prayer and pray specifically. Get back to the basics of serving. If you're not serving, serve again because maybe you were taking a break. Get back to the basics of regularly attending church. Get back to the basics of praying with your friends or praying with your family. Get back to the basics of obedience. I think when we get back to the basics, it helps us wake up. And then thirdly, proudly bear your God's name. Proudly bear your God's name. We love to rep our team. We love to rep our favorite restaurants. We love to rep our, 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 our fill in the blank, right? And man, if somebody says something about that restaurant that you love, somebody says something about your team, I want to fight. Can't talk about my team. Your team ain't my team. I don't have a single team. What happens when they say something about your God? What happens, what happens when, they, when they trash God's name? I don't know. I mean, God doesn't need us to defend him, for sure. But shouldn't that do something in us? It isn't a matter of the heart. We should bear God's name proudly, not secretly. We should bear his name. How much do we do that? It's active, it's not passive. The American church has leaned for far too long, far too hard on its reputation. We're a Christian country, whatever that means. We're countries that don't have labels. It's, it's, it's people are Christians, not, not entire not entire governments, not entire nations. It's, it's people. 
And God, God bless America. God bless our beginnings. God bless our founding father. God bless the fact that we were built on, on these things. That is an amazing blessing. But it is 2024. And we just got to stop just hitting the snooze button and leaning on our reputation from our beginnings and ask ourselves, how are we awake as a church in the United States of America? How are we, how are we doing? If Jesus were to come and write a letter to us, what would be our condition? What would be the complaints? What would be the warnings? If Jesus were to come to us as individuals, what would we hear? Because it says, he who has ears, let him hear these letters to the churches. This is for all of us to learn and to grow. Obedience matters because God has expectations. So let us wake up and let us keep doing the right thing. Because it is so, so worth it. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your, your grace. Thank you that you are a God of new beginnings, of new starts, of new life. And God, I thank you for each life here in this room. And may we experience you today in a, in a, in a, in a real, in a, a meaningful way that causes us to think different this week, to act different, to have attitudes that are more like yours this week because of your word, because of your power, because of your heart for us, your desire for us to walk this walk with you, to be clothed in white with you, to bear your name as we live this life. I mean, we ask ourselves, what does that look like today? What does that look like tomorrow, Monday morning, as I go to school, as I go to work, as I go to, uh, to uh, attack the day that is before us? How do we walk this life? with you and for you and because of you. God, give us moments of victory this week. Give us opportunities to say yes to you. Give us opportunities to bear your name. And Lord, may you get all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to click the follow button and tune in next week for another great message.